It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 499, 499. We're just one away from the Magic 500. Anyway, 499 of Accelerate, where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. Joining me on the show today is a repeat guest, Nancy Blakey. She's the president and chief sales officer of Sales Pro Insider and author of a great book called Conversations That Sell. She's a coach, a speaker, consultant. And I asked Nancy to come on the show to talk about how you, as a salesperson, as an individual contributor, as a sales manager, can change some of your basic sales behaviors. They'll make a big difference in terms of how you connect with your prospects, how you open the engagement with them. So, Nancy Blakey, welcome back to Accelerate. I'm so glad to be here, Andy. Wow, it's been a while. So, uh, what's new with you? What's new with me is just continuing to be out there helping companies and people grow their sales. And the big new thing is that we now have a completely virtual group facilitated offering that's been fantastically successful. A virtual group facilitated. Okay, so what is that? So instead of coming to a classroom for two days to kick off this behavior changing process, we're doing it all virtually with 12 people on webcams and a facilitator, and we can break them into small breakout groups to practice and um, really duplicate what we do on site without people having to travel. And these are 12 people from 12 different companies or? They, they, they often are, or they're, you know, from five different companies, a couple of people. So yeah, we were um, launched that last year and really see that there's a need out there for small businesses who don't have access to world-class training, be able to get that world-class training for themselves without picking up the days of travel and the cost of travel. Interesting. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. It is, Ben. Wow. But then people don't get the chance to travel to Wisconsin. I know. Well, I was actually just told by one group that they want to send, we still do live ones, of course, and Mm -hmm. they, uh, they wanted to know if uh, when the next one was. And then when I said October, they're like, oh, October in Wisconsin. I'm like, it's beautiful. Yeah, I was going to say, the leaves, it's, it's, it's where you want to be. Watch a football game. I know, you I mean, know. When I think, of, when I think about, <laughs> yeah, I grew up there. When I think about football weather, I think about sitting in a stadium in Wisconsin in October. That to me, That to me is football. Okay. Did you ever get to the Lambeau Field? Not Lambeau. I was talking about Camp Randall, watching the Badgers. Camp Randall, of course, the Badgers. Okay. Right. Yeah, see, yeah. I've never seen a Packer game in person. So on my bucket list, do it someday. Okay. But, All right. Do you have tickets? Do you have tickets? We do not, but friends do. Okay. But I, I have only been to Lambo once for a game because I don't like to be cold. So I will only go if I know the weather's going to be good. <laughs> there are just certain things I refuse. I work hard, but there are certain things I refuse to put myself into, and that's being right. cold. So if your friends ever have an opening, somebody that doesn't want to go. All right. Let me know. It happens. I'll, it I'll, happens. I'll be right. the fourth or the fifth or whatever. I, I'm on. I'm in. Oh, and they're a fun time. So, all right. Oh, you're yeah. in. Well, that's a given, right? There's, yeah. a, there's a Wisconsin crowd going to a football game. It's a given. It's a good time. So, all right. So, let's talk about some sales behaviors. And you're talking about working with people in groups, virtual groups to change sales behaviors. And one that you and I had been talking about before was you called ditch the pitch. So, you said salespeople <laughs> need to ditch the pitch. So, I've actually written about this, but you know, you tell the listeners what you mean by ditching the pitch. 
okay, and then you'll tell us what you meant when in sure. your writing. Sure. So for me, ditching the pitch means getting over wanting to tell people everything that you can do and not be able to, it, without it being connected into something that's important to them. Meaning that you don't start conversations with pitching because like in baseball, if someone's pitched at, they've got some options, including ducking and avoiding it. And so <laughs> we, we have to ditch the pitch and instead engage in conversations where we get them talking as much as us, if not more. That's what I think ditch the pitch is. Yeah. I mean, I think that, and I, but I think one of the, and I agree. I mean, I, I think when you come in and I think it's sort of a default behavior is, look, I've been loaded up by my marketing department with this, you know, this, this pitch, right? And I've been trained maybe on my elevator pitch, my 30 second, and gosh, I want to use it, right? I'm burning to use it. And as you said, it's, it's not, not a great way to start a conversation. But one of the questions I get asked a lot is, is people say, okay, well, fine. You know, we want to have a conversation, but what am I supposed to do when the customer asks? So what do you do? How am I supposed to respond to that? How do you coach well, people to, to respond to that? You need to have one or two sentences to be able to give context to what you do. You know, so we help companies and people grow their sales. Um, and so that we can determine whether that's something we can help you with, I have some questions for you. So I can give them context and an overview of what I do and then lead it back into, into them. In fact, this morning, I um, was preparing for a second conversation with a couple of people in one business. And um, in getting ready for it, you know, I have all my notes from last time. I had the research I did last time. And um, we were supposed to today go over um, how our sales force analysis would be the first step and helpful to them. And so I was spending, you know, 35 minutes this morning putting together, you know, here's the slides I want to show them. And, and I kept thinking, you know, I got to connect it to them. But I got so excited about how passionate I was that this was the right thing for them that I caught myself thinking, oh, my gosh, we're not here yet. I st they haven't really admitted that they're willing to do this. And I presented this prematurely. So I really did pitch at the end of the last conversation. And that's dangerous too. Sure. So then today he brought in his CFO and he had his sales manager and then the company owner. And then I had to set the stage that I know you're expecting a presentation today. And I'm ready to do that when it's the right time. First, let's confirm and clarify what we talked about last time and answer any additional questions I have or you have. And we spent an hour and five minutes continuing to learn more about their situation and never even got into the product presentation because it still wasn't time to do that. And I think you, you surfaced really an interesting thing, which is, mm -hmm. and I forget who it was. Uh, um, actually, I think Tim Wackel, Tim Wackel, who's a mm -hmm. speaker and so on, he, he uses this right which I think is a great, great suggestion, is he'll ask, you know, is it, do you think we're ready for a presentation? You know, various mm -hmm. steps. So mm -hmm. are, are we ready for a proposal? And, you know, if you do that as sort of a confirmation step as you think you're transitioning from stage to stage, it's a, it's a great question to ask because they're going to tell you. You know, it's interesting, though, because one of the things I've noticed is that 
people are wanting proposals, buyers are wanting proposals very early. And it's not necessarily a signal of interest. Mm-hmm. It's agree. a signal to be done. And so we could be, that could be dangerous to ask that if you really don't have compelling reasons that you're going to be able to match your solution to. Yeah, it's funny. I, I worked for a guy early in my career who, who basically his philosophy was, quote, early and often. <laughs> and and the the logic behind it, and you know his his philosophy was, this is how we surface requirements. This is how we surface and get into conversations with people as we put a stake in the ground. Mm. And and when you think about it, when you use it, it's it's actually it's pretty effective. And maybe not for all circumstances, but you know it's a way, especially let's say you've been working with somebody and they're just not going mm. forward, right? A quote's not a bad way to unlock the deal, and they'll say, "Well, yeah, this is not really what we need." Oh, let's okay. Let me let me pursue that, right? Let me let's dig into that a little bit, and you start asking some questions to understand. And so it's, uh, yeah, they're not always ready, but sometimes you know, quoting is a great way to initiate a conversation. Well, and sometimes though, it depends on how long that quote takes you. So if that quote is going to take you. 30 minutes, an hour, 90 minutes. And it's premature where you're not able to, you know, stack it up. You've now invested time with no commitment to them. And and to take that a bit further, the situation that I'm thinking about with this one group, what the issue was is they would give the proposal without a commitment to the next conversation. Mm. So they say, yep, I'll send you that. And then we'll, we'll talk, but they didn't have something scheduled. They didn't have any commitment. So, from the buyer's end, they've got nothing at stake, right? Sure, go ahead. Do whatever work you need to do. And then I've not agreed to anything. I, I, I can accept it. And now I'm the judge and jury, right? Well, I, I'm just looking at it without context, without further conversation. And I can never answer your call again. And that's sure. what was happening. Their conversion oh, yeah. rate was at 30%. Well, and the thing, though, and like what this guy I worked for was doing is, is – he wasn't sending it with the expectation of getting a decision. He was sending it with the expectation of stimulating a conversation. Mm. Sounds like that group was sending it with the expectation of getting a decision, which is is ridiculous, right? Well, well, now not only a decision, they were expecting that then to be then we'll follow up and I can ask them what they think about it. So by just switching that to say, you know what, if they haven't agreed, because they say, well, they don't want to schedule the next meeting. They just say, send it to me. And, and, and so what I challenged them was, if they're not willing to schedule the next meeting, then you let them know that you're not, it's not time for you to give them a proposal. Exactly. Because, because in their situation, the proposals took some time to put together. There was a lot of thought and calculations that had to go into it. And so it's easy for the buyer to not be engaged if they're just passively waiting. But by getting them to commit to that next meeting, yep, I'm going to put this together. And in our next meeting, we'll go over the details so that, you know, we can make sure what's working and not, and I can answer questions. And by making that switch, that was last October, by January, they were at over 70% conversion with Mm -hmm. that one change to how they're using proposals and not, you know, going premature until that person's willing to commit. Right. Well, one of the commitments I think that goes along with that is, is, and you don't see enough reps do this. And it depends on the deal size, whether it makes sense mm-hmm. or not. But if you're working something that's relatively complex, you're selling to an enterprise, you should never send a proposal. You should deliver <laughs> one. Mm-hmm. Meaning, go take it with you, right? 
and I'm going to come meet with you. I'm going to, we're going to go over this. The first time you see this is when I'm talking to you, whether it's Mm -hmm. done virtually or in person. And you shouldn't just send it cold like that because they don't understand. To your point earlier, they don't really know what they're looking at. Mm -hmm. So, so they look at, they flip to the last page, look at what the pricing is and then they're done. (laughs) Well, yeah, we get a whole separate conversation about where you should put pricing in a proposal is right. Put it up front, right? What What are you hiding? They're going to find it. It's the first thing they look for, right? Just yeah. put it up front. Don't make them look for it. <laughs> so, but in this case is, yeah, if you are selling something a little more complex, a little bit higher price point, selling to an enterprise, yeah, never just put a proposal in email and just send it or use your proposal system and just send it. Be there virtually or in person and take them through it so they understand, help provide some context to what you put together. I'd say that's that's more universal than just complex uh, things. Cause I'm talking about financial advisors, you know, they're well, selling sure. to a person or a couple and you still got to engage in that next conversation with yes. them. Well, for me, the complexity, and I should have spelled that out is when you say complex, you know, to me, it's not difficulty. What it, to me, what complex means there's risk, right? So financial planners, absolutely for people that are clients, right? Their perception of risk is pretty high. So, so in your point is, yeah, you absolutely need to do just what you said. You have to meet with them and work through it because, yeah, they're they're fearful. Mm-hmm. Well, and circling back to ditching the pitch, I mean, this is an example that the pitch isn't just at the beginning of meeting someone or conversation. We can pitch throughout the sales process, and mm-hmm. if it's one way where you're not connecting whatever it is you're talking about back to what's important to them, it's a pitch. Yeah, and so here we get into you know, one of the real popular things over the last couple of years is storytelling. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've written about this in my latest book and, and so on. Is Yeah, there's between pitching and telling a story. And I, I describe a format for a 30-second story you can tell. You, know, you okay. can answer four questions. Is so if you're going to relate to somebody and says, "Well, what do you do?" You can do what you just say is, you know, uh, yeah, we help companies improve company sales or whatever. Let me illustrate with a story about one of our customers, and you base the story on answering four questions. One is, "What was the problem or goal that customer is trying to solve? Why did they want to talk to you in the first place? Well, what was it in you mm-hmm. that they wanted? To, why did they buy from you? What value did they receive from having worked with you?" And you can put that into a sh- quick, short story and answer those four questions within 30 seconds. Suddenly now, for the person hearing it, the buyer hearing it, yeah, suddenly they get sort of sucked into the story, right? You know, they can identify right. with that prospect. And you know, this whole idea that, that people are writing about, about self-persuasion, you know, this, is, this is what they're doing, right? They're collaborating. Mm-hmm. Suddenly they're collaborating in the story by listening to it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it was John Steinbeck who said, you know, people only want to hear stories about them. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's true. So, you know, you write about, you're, you're telling a story about somebody, quick story, 30 seconds about a company just like them or similar to them. Mm-hmm. They get it. I, I like how you had that connection, though, from here's what we do, and let me illustrate that with a quick story. Mm-hmm. You know, that then, they're like, okay, you know, you're not now going to talk for 20 minutes and tell me about this. Well, you have it's a choice. Setting, it's setting that stage, right? Right. You have a choice. You can say, you could lead with your opening sentence, and then you could dive into, here's all of our products and services, or, yeah, here's what we've done for a customer and how they benefited from it and the value they received. 
And it's no comparison. Right. Because there's no. Which one's received better. Exactly. They don't because they're not getting a product pitch without being able to know what that product is going to mean for them. So your story, you know, I wrote down the four things that really sets the stage for how you help someone else and the value that they got for it. Right. So if you think about this in the context of behavior change, is mm-hmm. you know, sort of three parts you know, of behavior change. You know, there's a trigger to a behavior. There's a process you go through after the trigger, and then there's a reward. I mean, even our bad habits, we do these because there's some form of reward, even though it may be uh, <laughs> perversely bad <laughs> for us. You know, I eat potato chips. Man, it's not good for me, right? Uh, but it sure tastes good. It makes me feel good, the dopamine release in me. So similar with with a pitch is, you know, when we there's a trigger, the customer asks, so what do you do? It's something we've practiced. So we default to it and we feel good when we finished it because I practiced it and I actually did it well. <laughs> now, the fact that the customer is completely uninterested is immaterial because <laughs> it reinforces your behavior again because you got that release of dopamine in your brain saying, yeah, I just got through this. This was great. I did it without a mistake. But the fact is the customer didn't care. So you have to change your behavior, right? When you get that trigger, they ask, so what do you do? Think about instead, you know, your your lead line or in Hollywood, they call it like the log line, right? That one, one sentence the description of what you do followed by a story. Mm-hmm. And then the payoff is instead of the customer sitting there, instead of you feeling good about yourself, but the customer staring at you with a blank face, you get rewarded with a conversation. Mm-hmm. Very nice way to frame that. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. I get paid for this. I guess you, I can see why. why. Yeah. So, um, all right. So that was ditching the pitch. Mm -hmm. So another thing that, that, you know, we've, we talked about before too is, uh, and this is particular bugaboo of mine is, uh, objections. Mm. I mean, are you like me? I mean, do you hate this idea of, you know, people saying, what's, how do I handle this objection? Um, or how do I, I overcome it? How do I yeah, overcome like, the subject? How do I overcome it? Yes. It, it, it's, it's a bugaboo for me too, because people are who you're selling with and they don't want to be handled or overcome. Well, let's, let's stop right there. You said selling with, I love that. Mm. I mean, again, as, and I, <laughs> I've written about this, talk about this. We don't sell to people. We, this is something we do with people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what we're and, and when we think about it that way, when we think about our our sales activities and our sales conversations with that focus of collaboration and we're working with the buyer to achieve a desired outcome. You know, they want a solution or they're not going to be talking to you. And of course you want to sale, but many salespeople are motivated by wanting to help people. Yes. And you can't help somebody with your solution unless you've helped them work through the decision-making process they need to confidently make that buy decision. Mm-hmm. So it is something that you're doing together. And yes. then, you know, people, you know, p- people can get on, you know, on, on track with that and you, know, you got to develop the mindset. And then they, they, they work hard to, you know, set up their conversations and get the information they need and relevantly match what their solution is to that person's problem, opportunity, want, or need. And then that person raises an objection or maybe it's just a concern 
It's not like an outright objection. And talking about your trigger, what's the trigger that happens? Well, even before you get that, I, here's a question I like, like to ask people is, what's an objection? Mm. What is it? I mean, if you're a seller and you're listening to the show and you think, okay, what? ask yourself, really, what is an objection? So I think most people I, don't know. I think right, they... I, Go ahead. What do you so you tell me what you say it is? <laughs> so, an objection is just a question, right? The customer is not objecting. It's not like law and order. They're saying, oh, I, "I object," right? Mm-hmm. It's it's not yep. that. What they're saying is, "I don't understand." Hmm. Yep. I see. And I just say objections are opportunities to yeah. problem to problem solve. And and right. so, I, yep, it's a question. It's a question. And it's, it's the what follows the but. All right, so I hear what you're telling us about this and that, but if it follows the but, that is an that is a concern <laughs> or an objection that right. you need to be really listening for. That's an um, image. And That's I, an image. Okay. And then I also, I'm oh, sorry, <laughs> I didn't even go there. And I think the other thing is that you know we need to give opportunity for them to raise those questions or concerns. Yeah. So through, the, throughout as well. Right. So to me, when somebody gives me an objection, what I do is say, okay, what's the question they're asking? What's the question they're asking? That, you know, clearly they need some information. What is it they're looking for? And it's going to take some questioning of them to sort of uncover that. But, but you know, that's, that's fundamentally what objections are. So the, as you said, they're really opportunities to provide more context, more information, more insights to be able to help them answer the question. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I, I look at it that they might need some more information or we, we might need some more information, right? It, it could ways, be either right? way. And we only know it when we get that, that conversation continuing and we don't let those triggers that are the fight or flight reaction and all the behaviors that come from that stop us from listening and setting the stage that we're not now adversaries, <laughs> that we're not now, you exactly. know, duking it out over something. Exactly. That, hey, let's continue to learn what we need to learn. Right. And, and key point, because when you listen, and I, I love this phrase. I, I didn't come up with this phrase. I, <laughs> and I, mm-hmm. it was in a book called The Coaching Habit, written by a a uh, great book. If you haven't read it, Coaching Habit, mm-hmm. people that listen to the show are probably tired of me talking about it. Uh, <laughs> and but the author, I told him I've, I've stolen this line from him. But but he, you know, he talks about you have to listen without judgment. Mm-hmm. So when we're hearing objection, we're putting it into a niche. First of all, as you said, we get the flight or flight <laughs> reaction going up. Our defenses are raised, right? Mm-hmm. As a salesperson, you get an objection. Oh, something bad's about to happen. You know, what's, mm-hmm. what's going on? And so, you know, we've, we've put our bias on this, this comment the customer has made or the objection they've raised. Rather than just listening to what they're saying without that bias and without judgment and saying, hmm, well, how, how can I find the answer to this question they're asking? Or how can I determine this question they're asking, what this question is they're asking? So you have to listen without judgment, listen without putting up the barriers, listen without raising your defenses. And as you said so accurately, is without thinking suddenly they're your adversary. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and, and we, we say that's what you have to, you have to first stop it to listen to what they're saying. And that as soon as we watch this in, um, in field rides, and I listen to a lot of, uh, sales calls mm-hmm. for, uh, call centers and they, as soon as that rep senses that there is an objection or a question that might be challenging, they cut the person off because they think I've heard this before. Right. I, I just have to tell them something and then we can just blow through this and get out of this discomfort because not only is our fight or flight reaction raised, so is theirs. You know, sure. most, most people aren't comfortable if they've had a good, you know, uh, experience with you wanting to tell you something that they think might change that dynamic. And, um, and they might, you know, want to avoid it, or they might be someone that really does enjoy kind of giving challenging things to see how you'll react. So you got to stop and pause and listen, but then you got to drop. And like you said, judgment, we always say you have to drop your defenses, your ego, your emotions, and your agenda, you know, just at that time, they all have to be paused so that you can keep an open mind for moving forward. Because the first words out of your mouth are going to set the the stage for where you're going there. If you're going forward as a problem solver or you're going forward and creating some kind of friction or some kind of hurdle or something Mm -hmm. that now has to work through in that relationship. Well, the open mind where this comes in, and and you alluded to this, is that we have this temptation, you know, as creatures, as human beings, we operate on the basis of pattern recognition, right? Mm. So when I get this objection, that means you're like this, or this means that you're concerned about this. And because that's easier for us to think about that way. And it's, it's, you know, Daniel Kahneman and others have sort of written about this. Is, and so we have to fight against that. Because mm-hmm. you know those—that's what I call about biases, our filters. Is mm-hmm. it's easy for us intellectually to say, okay, they're like this, therefore I'm going to do X, right? They're they're like Y, I'm going to do X. But chances are they're not <laughs> like Y. Chances are they are Z, and so you can't do X. You're going to have to do A instead. But only if you're open to it. And and you know, I tell the stories before of of my wife teaches medical school and. And in the process of some of the courses they teach the the students, the medical students, is one about being able to recognize their own biases, like when they mm-hmm. talk to a patient. And, and these aren't, you know, biases in the bad sense necessarily. It's just that they start with, okay, am I talking to a male or female? Are they old or young? You know, do they look mm-hmm. you know, well off or do they look poor? Do, you know, do they live here or are they from out of town? And they've identified like 22 biases Mm-hmm. That they have to work through in order to listen without judgment mm-hmm. to the person. So we have the same thing operating ourselves mm-hmm. all the time, and we just have to be really mindful of it. Well, it is. It's training yourself to bypass your normal um, course. Some people call it the amygdala hijack. Mm-hmm. You know, the amygdala that makes your brain. You gotta, you gotta hijack that and not let it take you where it where it normally would. And that's why it's a it's a discipline in saying, okay, when I hear this, first of all, it starts in my mind. You know, can you know, can I retrain my mind? And, and especially if we're hearing the same kind of objections, it's something you can absolutely prepare and practice for. Okay, when I hear this, when I hear this doesn't fit into our budget, 
you know, what triggers in my mind? Mm-hmm. All right. What, what's the reality though? What are the potential reasons that might be coming up? You know, and, and, and I can list out, gosh, you know what? There's five or six reasons they might be saying that. So which one of those do I try to respond to? I don't, I need to ask for more information to find out where they're coming from. And, and as I, I tell people, it's, um, it might be the hundredth or thousandth or 10,000th time you've heard that, but for that person, it's the first time they're telling it to you. Mm-hmm. And so we need to respect what they need to say and give them the opportunity to dig in. So, so that's why, you know, we really focus on, you know, first engage your mind to bypass all those behaviors that are going to take you down the wrong path. And then you can engage your mouth with the right words that acknowledge and let them know they're being heard, which is way more important to lessen their triggers. Well, and the payoff, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And then you can segue into, and this is where like you do at the beginning, this is a great time for a a, a short illustration. Mm -hmm. You know, we've, we've, uh, you know, budget is something that, you know, people in your situation come up and, you know, when Bob, brought this up after exploring it, we realized that for him, it was the timing more than the budget. And so we were able to put together the terms that would help him meet his fiscal objectives. So, so that we can look better at what you need to do. I have some more questions. Right. And then you can go into questions. Yeah. And I think when we look at sort of the standard behavior with objections, you know, the trigger is, Hey, this objection. And again, it's not too dissimilar from, from what we talked about, the pitch is that mm. for many salespeople, especially since they're taught to overcome right mm-hmm. a, an objection, is they feel like if they can sort of just sort of get through it in the moment, right? If I yep. can say something that sort of shuts the customer up, <laughs> then I've overcome that objection. And customers, mm-hmm. when I sit there and acknowledge, okay, yeah, we hear what you say, but I mean they agree. But right. suddenly the payoff is, yeah, I got through this. I overcame that. You know, that's my payoff. I feel good. Again, somewhat <laughs> irrespective well, of whether it, the customer thinks it's good or not. So, you know, when you have that trigger, your process has to has to change. It, you know, it has to be, as we talked before, it's you have to find out the question. Right? What are they really asking? Well, and Andy, think about what are some of those words that come out to try to shut the customer up? Sometimes they're immediately conceding to terms and price to -hmm. think that that'll make it go away. Mm -hmm. And so there's so much unnecessary discounting. Yeah. And scope changes where if they got to the root of what was going on and found out more, they probably wouldn't have had to do that. But sometimes that's what comes out of people's mouths is the first thing is, well, what if we discounted it 10% or what if I was able to match this, you know, would that then work within your budget? Right. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, it's, it's again, we, we rush through and, and take these shortcuts because it sort of puts a, a Band-Aid. Mm-hmm. And things. like you said, it makes you, it makes you feel better right now that you're in control. And right. so, you know, to me, when, when objection is raised, whether it's I object, which people don't really do. I mean, some kind of controlling people sometimes do like to put you under the, right. the challenge, but most people won't. They'll just say, well, you know, and then they go into something. Um, is 
that we speed things up. Suddenly, like people start talking faster and we, you know, kind of just try to rush through it. Where uh, to me, I'm like, take a pause, take a breath and kind of settle in, slow it down. You're going to have a better outcome if you don't rush that part of the conversation, because the information you learn at that point might be the most compelling reason that you're able to use to, you know, uh, substantiate why they need what you, you have. Very good. Hey, with that, I think we're going to end the conversation. That's a great point to end on. Okay. So, Nancy, it's great as always to talk with you. So, tell the listeners how they can find out more about you and connect with you. Well, they can connect with me at our website, www.salesproinsider.com. Hopefully, this will be in the show notes. It will be. Um, and for your listeners, we actually put together, we have a uh, e-course on working through objections, a free uh-huh. e-course. So if it's something that's interesting and you want to learn how to bypass those triggers, as you said, Andy, we've got some practical strategies for you. Okay. So where do they find that? They're going to find that at salesproinsider.com slash Andy Paul. Oh, wow. Yes. Your I'm name a, in the URL. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm memorialized in a URL. So yes. <laughs> my, life, my life is complete. Thank you. That was on my bucket list. Okay. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) So, well, good. Well, Nancy, again, as always, great to talk to you. And hopefully we can run into each other in Wisconsin sometime. Absolutely. For for a game at Lambeau when the weather's warm. Yeah, I'll go even if it's cold. See, I don't have have that issue. Actually, I'll I'll take your seat. That's the solution right there. Okay. All right. My husband's a good time. So, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Perfect. All right. I'll look forward to that. So, all right. Nancy, thanks again for being on the show. And friends, thank you for spending this time with me today. Please come back again tomorrow. Join us with our next guest. Until then, really appreciate it. It really helped me out. If you took a second, went to iTunes, subscribe to this podcast. More importantly, leave a review for the Accelerate. Really want to hear what you have to say. And so in the meantime, thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 